suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 237 of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. The little group of meerkats sitting on the hill is... Only two meerkats It's getting smaller and smaller, yes. One of the meerkats is off in central Queensland. Indeed. And, and, and he's on atop a small mound out there <laughs> observing. Yeah, eating a big fat beefsteak, I think. <laughs> I think he is. I think he is. So it's just two, it's just two meerkats with you yeah. on this occasion, dear listener. This is an Australian podcast where we talk about news and politics, sex and religion, normally the sort of the current affairs of the week that's gone by. And um, I, of course, am Trevor the Iron Fist. With me, as always, Paul the Twelfth Man. G'day, Trevor. G'day, listener. Hope you're all well out there. Happy Australia Day. Yes. A little bit belatedly. And thoughts and prayers for, for Scott. For Scott, uh, yes. Uh, the Twelfth Man. Uh, not the Twelfth Man. The Velvet Glove. He's, uh, he's not with us, but he'll be with us again at some stage. I'm sure he's with us in spirit. I'm sure he is. Right, so uh, we're a podcast. We talk about news and politics, sex and religion. If you're joining the podcast for the first time... Uh, we had a really cracker of an episode last week. It was terrific. It was slightly unusual. We were yeah. talking about uh, the Bible yeah, from the point of view of an atheist perspective and the historical Jesus and mm. the Gospels and uh, how how much we can rely on them, when were they made, who made them. Mm. It was a good topic. We got lots of good feedback on that terrific. one. So maybe if you've never heard us before, and I'm thinking because I got interviewed on a program which I think might come out soon and I always get the feeling that um, they might come for this episode and I would encourage you, have a look at the previous episode as well and get a feel for that one. So anyway, we're going to... Um, you were interviewed? Yeah, it was the podcast hosting company that oh, okay. um, hosts our media files mm-hmm. was interviewing different people, so I'm on that. Mm-hmm. Right, so topics, 12th man. Australia, Australia Day. Mm. Mm. Thoughts uh, on... It's a perennial question, the date. Every year, we've, isn't it? We've dealt with it in the yeah, past at have. this time every year. We've sort of given eye. I think a basic conclusion is we don't really care ourselves. Not that date. much, no. And if it's offensive to our Indigenous brothers and sisters, I don't mind changing the date to something else. I don't yeah. care. I'm not really, you know, locked onto January 26th either. Yep. I am just a little bit... Uh, uncomfortable with the idea of changing a date because a minority of people find it offensive. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because not all Indigenous people find it offensive. I, I get the feeling that it's mainly the the very loudest, noisiest Indigenous activists that are against it. Because other Indigenous people, like Jacinta Price, you know, and and I've seen others claim that the average Indigenous person is not really that you know, uh, passionate about changing the date. Mm. But the Indigenous activists who want to change are very loud, very noisy and very persistent. And they have managed to persuade a lot of non-Indigenous activists that basically it's offensive to all Indigenous people and that, you know, they won't rest until it's changed. Mm. So I just, I, I don't know, I don't like the idea of changing things just because of a few noisy activists, if you know what I mean. 
Well, is it just a few, though? I, like, I don't know. And how do you measure we, it? we never know. We never know. That's we true. Um, yeah. We'll never know. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm happy to change the date. Yeah. And I don't think white Australia really cares that much. And as I've said in the past... Let's move it to later in the year when we need more holidays. But um, Yes. Well, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. But the Indigenous Affairs Minister, Ken Wyatt, mm-hmm. has said that he's not in favour of changing the date and that he thinks, you know, people should just, you know, come together mm. and uh, put the past behind us and get on with making the present and the future better for everybody, you know. And I'm kind of on board with him. And, and I'm not a huge admirer of Ken Wyatt, but I, on this point... I think he's he's being eminently sensible, you know. Mm. He, I mean, and here's a quote from him. He says, we can have anger at the past, the pain and the hurt, but at some point you've got to give our children a better future. In other words, focus on more relevant issues, real sort of concrete issues rather than symbolic ones. Yeah. Um, so there was there have been marches. Um, yes, there yep. were marches in just every put your microphone city. just back a little bit from you, please, Paul. Thank back you. there. Um, just a, um, uh, a bit further yeah, away. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Um, I was reading something, well, uh, you know, Invasion Day, and just some thoughts out there when you're thinking about Invasion Day and calling it that. And and Because we did an Indigenous episode 213. So uh-huh. if you think we scoot over a few issues in this next little segment, mm-hmm. go to t- episode 213 and get the full download of mm-hmm. what we had to say on various issues there. But... Um, first thing I'd say is for the people who call it Invasion Day is do you call boat people invaders? <laughs> and if not, why not? Mm. Uh, what's, what's the difference? Mm. Uh, because there were people who came unwillingly on the boats. Uh, Indeed. Uh, on, in, on the first fleet? Yes. In fact, probably uh, half... Very unwilling. Half, yes. half, half or more came unwillingly. Yes. Half were convicts and the other half were sailors and marines. Yes. And you can pretty much be sure the majority of the convicts came unwillingly. Yes. And it's probably also true that some of the sailors and marines weren't that keen to come either. Yeah. So... Uh, so that's an issue. If if you are willing to call it Invasion Day, mm-hmm. but you're not willing to call boat people invaders, then I have to ask why, for just a matter of consistency. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of issue number one. And I was reading a book um, about uh, why you should be a socialist. Hang on, let me just grab it. Mm-hmm. I meant to have it with me. And uh, why you should be a socialist by Nathan Robinson. And he had an interesting... Th- um, section about property rights and um, let me give you a sort of a birdcage analogy here. So 19th century economist Henry George pointed out that property rights were especially questionable when it came to land. If I make a birdhouse with my bare hands we might think it logical that I should be the one who gets to decide what to do with that birdhouse. But nobody created the land so the only way land is originally turned into property, is through seizure. Uh, And seizure does not establish a particularly compelling claim. So that was 19th century economist Henry George. And um, sort of a bit before that was a guy, uh, a 19th century philosopher, Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. Oh, yeah. Proudhon. Oh, have you heard him? Oh, yeah, In uh, when I did political science at university. Right. Yeah, what was, was he famous for? 
Anarchy, was he? Okay. Wasn't he an anarchist? Well, he's just got interesting answers, thoughts about property. Property is theft was was the slogan. Very good, 12 million. Yeah, property is theft is Mm. what he was saying, Mm. is that at one point in human history, nobody owned anything. Mm. Like when we at one point... We we were all hunter-gatherers. Yes. And even before that, just at some point we became mankind and then... At some point, ownership started. Mm. And ownership started when somebody claimed mm. something for themselves mm. and said nobody else is entitled to it. Mm. And he argues that the sort of ethical justification for that isn't, isn't enormously clear. Mm. And um, so really, as, as I sort of looked at what he had to say there, that... Um, uh, he says that the claim has no natural legitimacy. It's unclear why, looking at an unowned world, I should be able to take part of it for myself and demand that other people recognise my right. Mm. So um, really when it comes to sort of land ownership, uh, it seems to me that people get it in sort of three essential ways. One is I was here first mm-hmm. argument, arriving on virgin soil and I'm here first, it's mine and you can't have it. Mm-hmm. Or... Conquest mm-hmm. um, by the strong over the week. By taking it from somebody else who was already there. Correct. Or C would be buying or inheriting it mm-hmm. from somebody in the, either of the first two situations. Yeah. Is how property ownership comes mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And so just thinking about the our Indigenous brothers and sisters' claim to ownership mm-hmm. of Australia... Mm-hmm. Um, at a philosophical level, you could say, really, is I was here first that much better than I'm taking it off you? Um, and I see an intergenerational sort of mm. thing here because I'm often whinging about the boomers taking everything and, <laughs> you do, uh, yeah, you? You and, and the gone. future generation being stuck with yeah. it. Uh, imagine a world where essentially all of the vacant land is is taken and owned because people just claim it Mm -hmm. and then new human beings are born into this society and they're told... And there's none left. Bad luck. Mm. You're one of the later ones. Well, they Uh, either have to inherit it or buy it. Yes. And if you're an orphan, uh, too bad on the inheritance one. Uh, You know, it's a finite resource that in one sense arguably belongs to humanity as part of the common Mm. and, and... you know, there's obviously an argument where if you've improved a property or built a house on it or you've used it to mm. make a farm or do something on it, then that adds some legitimacy to your use of the land, mm-hmm. perhaps while you're doing that. Mm. But the sort of a freehold title is once you buy a block of land, once you keep paying the rates and it's yours forever, ever. More or like, less. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the idea. Although yeah. in Canberra, for example, when you buy a property, it's some sort of... Nine hundred ninety-nine year lease, I think it oh, is. Really? Yeah, it's not. It's not a full it's not freehold in title. Perpetuity. I think it's on the understanding that you will mm. um, probably have it renewed. Yeah. But a freehold title is is in perpetuity. So yeah. it's a sort of a. Uh, it's really current generations saying to future generations, "Well, just bad luck. We were here first. Yeah. And look, I, I have to admit, when I was when I was studying political science at university, I was a little mm. bit younger than I am now, and you know. I, th- I can understand that for people who don't own much property. That sort of idea that, oh, gee, you know, it's not, the world is not fair and that, you know, the people who own most of the property m- may, may well have got it through illegitimate means and so, 
you know, why shouldn't the government just take it off them and redistribute it? You know, that's the sort of typical, you know, line of the revolutionaries. Yes. I'm no longer convinced. I mean, it, 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 it sounds very nice to those who feel badly done by. I'm no longer convinced that it's, it's a good way to run a society because ownership of one's own home uh, provides a certain amount of security and that security uh, gives you a, a certain freedom from anxiety and, and stress about you know what's going to happen to me tomorrow and the day after that. Sure. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm now more inclined to think that uh, at least at the in- individual level, people are better off owning their own home and owning a little bit of property at least, maybe not owning masses of it and uh, becoming rent seekers, but uh, certainly I'm not against the idea of ownership of, of property, of, of real estate. Um, I've changed my view on that quite a lot since I was a young, you know, slightly more easily influenced right. person. Yeah. And, and I'm mean? not saying that we shouldn't um, mm. allow people use of land and, and what we've kind of got going mm. now, but at a philosophical level, the claims that you yeah. are um, uh, you're here first and you have therefore full entitlement to it yeah. is a little bit shaky. It is a little There's bit a shaky. There's a good deal of scepticism deserved for, yeah. um, for ownership just Look, by you, being here first. You know Noel Pearson has, mm. he's, you know, he's a very strong advocate for Indigenous people and in, Indigenous welfare has come out strongly saying that um, uh, freehold title should be a possibility for Indigenous people on, you know, Indigenous communally owned land. Mm -hmm. And he saw that as a means of Indigenous people actually improving their welfare. Yes. Well, this is one of the problems in Indigenous communities is that there's zero incentive to Mm -hmm. actually look after property because... Because they don't own it yeah. exactly, and and we all we've seen the yeah. the pictures of and then know, they can't dire, dire and they poverty. can't borrow against it to that's right do businesses yeah. or other things as exactly. well. So can I just say one more thing about in so called Invasion Day? Mm. Um, I you know it's very easy to 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 judge what happened you know two two hundred or more years ago by contemporary standards, but it wasn't the same world. You know people. Uh, didn't see things the way we see things. Mm. And it wasn't just the British invading Australia. It was happening all over the world, you know. Um, this is the story of humanity. Humanity has, you know, when indiv- you know, specific groups of, of people have, have grown in numbers and grown in power, have spread out and taken land from other people, you know, or, or taken land that they saw as... Free, to, free for the taking or uninhabited, terra nullius, if you want to put it that way. This is a human story. Now, we cannot turn the clock back. We can't change history and we can't go back and, you know, return every piece of real estate to the, you know, whatever Indigenous people were inhabiting it, you know, hundreds of years ago. It's unrealistic mm-hmm. and I'm not sure it's even desirable. You know, I mean, surely we're, we can all move on together make the best of whatever situation we're in as a country. And Australia is, you know, one of the more, infor- uh, um, one of the more fortunate countries, you know, if you take it as a whole. And I think we're, we're capable of, you know, working out a sort of just cooperative way of managing our resources and our land without 
becoming divisive and engaging in, you know, us versus them contests. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the true test is really what, how are people being treated today? Have our Indigenous brothers and sisters got equal rights exactly. to, or, to participate in exactly. our society yes. today is the question. Equal and opportunity to participate. Over that. Yes. So we've done that to death we in have. previous ones. We won't go over it again, but that was just some thoughts on property um, yes. that... Uh, I thought I'd throw them into the mix. And not only that, but these um, activists who, you know, came up with these slogans, Australia is um, Indigenous land, you know, was, is and always will be, mm. they're just totally out of touch with reality, I think. Yeah. It's obvious that, you know, Australian, European-originated Australians are not going to pack up mm. and go back to Europe. Mm. Just getting back to the birdcage analogy where if you sort of create the birdcage, you seem to have ownership of it and can do with it as you wish. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the things with land where basically they used to grant land to people provided you had built structures, started mm -hmm. a farm, done yeah. a certain amount of improvement. Fenced then, it. <laughs> yes, indeed. And um, that was the sort of thing that you had to do yeah. and then you were given the land as, yeah. as a result of it. So, yeah. um, And even yeah. in the, in the uh, Industrial Revolution days in, in the UK, you know, mm. a lot of the land, uh, well, prior to the Agricultural Revolution, I oh. should say, a lot of the land was occupied by peasants who basically, you know, scratched out a living, you know, growing their, growing their crops and providing uh, service and, uh, and tax to the local lord, you know. Mm. And then the local lords, when they discovered that by fencing their fields, by selectively breeding their stock, that they could improve the quality of their produce... And basically chased the peasants off their land and said, uh, this is mine, clear out. Right. And that was, you know, part of the... Was that when they took the commons? Yeah, they took right. the commons, right. exactly. Yeah. So they, they basically stole the land off the peasantry who had always lived on it. Yes. You know, and the yes. peasantry... So there course, was that era in England where basically you had the common land yeah. where everybody could go in and... And hunt and yes. fish and, and gather gather whatever stuff. was available in in mm. the woods or whatever yeah, or in the rivers. As the industrial revolution came about, uh, the commons was appropriated. That's right by fencing it off. Yeah, and people were then forced into manual labour yes. in the industrial yes, areas. A different form of servitude. Yeah, mm. indeed. <laughs> so, yeah. So the idea of property and ownership of it is something to take into account. Very complex, considering yeah mm. invasions. Right, just on um, more general topics, mm -hmm. with the whole fiasco with Senator McKenzie and the rorting yes. of the grants to sporting groups. It was and pretty blatant, wasn't it? Pretty blatant rorting, I thought. Well, we've got an Auditor-General who came out with a report and said that mm -hmm. there was bias. Like, but somehow we now have to send it to the Prime Minister's Department and have them investigate. I mean, oh, yeah. surely if the Auditor-General comes out with it... Uh, Wouldn't you that, think that'd be enough? You would think. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, obviously she's a Nationals um, member and uh, the Prime Minister technically can't sack her. That's well, up to the uh, leader of the Nationals Party. Well, it's his cabinet, so... I'm Apparently sure he, the yeah. part of the coalition agreement mm. is that the, uh, the leader of the Liberal Party cannot sack a really? Nationals cabinet member. Apparently. Wow. I don't, I don't right. know the, okay. the law, right. but uh, that's what I've read. Right. Okay. Hmm. Mm. Anyway, what's there to say other than it's so blatant? Very it's the blatant. sort of thing that in years gone by people would have just said, okay, mea culpa and yep. 
uh, fall on your sword. Yep, and yep. hope to come back another day. But she refuses. No, there's no shame anymore. No shame. <laughs> what can we do? No, nothing. I don't think. Of I course, think you know we, we know Scott Morrison gave uh, had had the government give uh, hundred what was hundred ten thousand dollars to his own church. Yes, for security cameras. Now she apparently. Joined a gun club and gave them thirty or thirty-five thousand dollars or some such amount. Yeah, for what I'm not sure, but yeah. you know, it's but the whole government's hands are all over this, so yeah, um, it's, it's just wrong. Yeah, so clearly she wasn't acting alone. Clearly, whatever decision she was making was done with a group of high-level mm. people like Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg and all those, and. Uh, she wasn't acting the alone, but suspects. she might have to fall on a sword to keep everybody happy. She might one. still, yeah. Mm, we'll see. We'll see. Hey, in the Facebook, just leave me a message if the audio is now working because uh, I'm just curious to know whether that's working. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of other minor things. Micro-party mergers. So the Voluntary Euthanasia Party in New South Wales merged with Reason Party. I didn't know that. Mm. So dying with dignity, Vice President Shane Higson who had run for the Voluntary Euthanasia Party in two state elections and two federal elections, said being a single-issue party was an electoral liability and basically it was just going to be a lot easier to be part of Reason Party, so that makes sense to me. Yeah. I've joined the Labor Party. Have you really? Hmm. I've paid my $25 and I'm awaiting approval. Well, you can't claim to be non-partisan with this podcast exactly. So I have to make that... I'm going to have to put a little page on the website to declare my... My biases. To declare and, your uh, interest. Indeed, yeah. So we'll see if they accept me. Because so, you had to on the form state whether you'd run for parliament for any other party. Oh, that's right, or you have. Like yeah. that. So, mm. so my intention, dear listener, is to go to some meetings and to, um, to find out how it goes. So, mm, well, yeah. I wish you good luck. Yeah. Yep. I hope you can bring about some change inside that rather... I'm, yeah, I'm just curious to see how it all operates. So yeah. we'll see how that yeah, goes. it should be interesting. Yep. If um, Facebook's too difficult, head over to YouTube. Um, Greg's done that. So, um, right. Um, bushfire donations. Mm. It's what about kind of, them? Well, lots of people have donated a lot mm-hmm. of money and there's been complaints that these organisations... Um, uh, like the Salvation Army and St Vincent de Paul, are hanging on to the money oh. and aren't distributing it to mm. the needy people and have even said things like, thanks for your donations, we'll probably use about a third of it for this emergency what? and we'll use uh, the remainder for future emergencies. No, yes. come on. People yep. who donated it, I yes. would assume, wanted yep. it to be given quickly to the people who needed it as a result of this yep. bushfire emergency. Yep. Wouldn't you think? You would think. That's what people would want. <sighs> but well, why are we delegating this function to religious organisations? Why indeed? Salvation Army, St Vincent de Paul, yeah. Red Cross. Red Cross, religious, what are they? Uh, no, they're not religious. Right. The Red Cross originated in Switzerland. This, this is where years ago. so much of the welfare system has been outsourced Mm. to religious groups that our government no longer has the infrastructure Mm. to properly deal with these things. Like, there should be enough... But would you be confident if, say, the government said, we're setting up this body to receive donations, would you trust the government to do it? Who would you trust to do it? Well, 
I probably trust the government more, more than, than the than churches. Churches, mm. and at least I could vote out a government that didn't <laughs> do it. But I can't vote out a church. No, you can't. So, surely that you know, if there was just a proper uh, social welfare offices around, mm-hmm. I mean, they've got everybody's bank account details. Mm-hmm. They know everything about them. Indeed. They're the people best placed to say. Indeed, the ATO. Maybe the ATO <coughs> should be the body delegated to uh, distribute the money. It's just a sad state of affairs where we're basically relying on a lot of church groups Indeed. to distribute this. Yeah. They're not to be trusted. Yeah, this. and there, there again is that automatic yeah. assumption mm. that they are you know, morally upright and trustworthy and you can count on them to do the right thing. Mm. But as we know, it isn't always the case. Mm. So... Um, and a lot of sort of welfare is outsourced, just general welfare is outsourced to these groups mm. that really should be done in-house by a government, in Indeed. my opinion. Mm. Yeah. And firefighter compensation. So mm. we've heard that, okay, we're going to be paying the volunteers. And I was reading an article from the Fassifern Guardian. Fassifern is Where's kind that? of, it's kind of uh, Mount Tambourine out to Boona sort of area, oh, okay. I think. Yep. There's a lot of restrictions on the payments. So volunteers become eligible to claim for days on the fire line after fighting fires for 10 days. Mm. So they cannot claim for the first 10 days. Mm. They can only claim for those hours fighting the fires within normal working hours. If a firefighter fought for 18 hours on one day and only four of the 18 hours were within the volunteer's normal working day... They can only claim for those four oh, hours. That is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, if the firefighter's working, for, fighting fires for eighteen hours, he's, he's he or she's hardly going to be in a fit state to report for work the next day. If a firefighter made up the hours away from work by working at night or on the weekend, or received payment from their employer, they cannot claim those hours, mm. and they must prove their loss of income. And they can only claim a rate commensurate with their normal daily wage. Um. Uh, if they're retired, they can't claim. Um, and if a volunteer works part-time and they fought a fire on days that they do not normally work, then they can't claim. Like, if this is true, as what the Fassifern Guardian was saying, it's, I've never come across the Fassifern Guardian before, but Indeed. they were basically a community-style newspaper telling yeah. their members, you know, their listeners, yeah. their readers... <laughs> like- Good luck, five mm. voluntary firefighters, because mm. it doesn't sound like they're going to be uh, getting much benefit. Yeah, so um, uh, so that's that. Um, right, a couple of things on intergenerational stuff, because I've already mentioned one in terms of property. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going to bash the boomers again? I I, can't, I am. Yeah. Did somebody? Hang on. Uh, did somebody say boomers? <laughs> Enough of that. Um, let me just see where I've got here on that. Is just in terms of voting, um, looking at the result of uh, voting in the last election with the UK, for example, mm-hmm. the, the Tories won. They did. Um, huge generational differences in voting. So, uh, if you're looking at um, in the age group 18 to 24, women aged 18 to 24, 65% voted for Labor. Mm-hmm. Only 15% voted 
for the Tories. Conservatives. Mm. Even in the age group 25 to 49, uh, amongst women, for example, 45% voted for Labor and mm. 32% for uh, the Conservatives. And it's only when you get to people over 50 that the Conservatives get in front. There's a real divide in the UK election mm. between the old and the young. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, you know, they, <coughs> there, there is some old... Um, some old cliche about, uh, you know, you're a revolutionary when you're mm. a young person and, you know, as you get older you become more, more sensible and mm. you, you start voting conservative. Mm. But I th- I, personally I think there's something in it, to be honest. I, I know I was much more inclined to, to uh, absorb ideas about, you know, social justice and revolution and, you know, sticking it to the rich bastards when I was younger, but... I think as as you learn more about the way the the real world works, you realise that um, not that it's it's all good and right, but that there are certain sociological reasons why society seems to settle out the way it does. You know, and it's not entirely negative if you, mm. if you take my drift. Mm. People just get grumpier as they get older and crotchety and and less willing to. Change. I don't feel I'm grumpy. <coughs> I, I don't feel grumpier as I get mm. older. I, I feel I, I have a, a more nuanced understanding of the way the world works, if you like. Mm. So I've got on the screen for the people who are, are watching live uh, a couple of graphs. So the top line is the top graph is the overall result, but then, uh, then it just shows the age groups. And it's really quite remarkable, the differences mm. um, between the age groups. And then uh, in the Australian case, when you look at... Uh, voting in the last election. So somewhere just over 40... In the 18 to 24 age group, um, a bit over 40% voted Labor, and the amount that voted for the uh, LNP would have been somewhere around the 15%. Mm. And um, and a huge green vote of nearly 40% green yes. amongst the young people. Yeah. And as they, uh, as they get older... Uh, those green votes just disappear and yep. all end up at the um, LNP side. Yes. Yeah. There so. you go. Useful idealism mm. gives way to a sort of um, <laughs> more realistic view of the world as people get older. I well, think. is it more realistic? I think or, it is. Or is it uh, is it something else? No, I think it is. I think I think people just sort of realise that all that useful idealism um, may be based on terrific sounding ideas. But they, you know, with with a bit of life experience, realise that some of those ideas are good, but a lot of them are a little bit sort of pie in the sky and 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 maybe not practical. Well, if the young people are looking at it and thinking, the old people could be looking at the climate change sort of argument and yes. going, "Well, not going to worry." It's a good me. example. Not, not, not gonna, no. Well, they could be saying, "It's not going to affect me because mm. I'll be gone." So, do, you know, do you really think so? so? you think they, they really don't <coughs> care about their, their children or their grandchildren? I reckon there was a significant number of older people who said, I'm not too concerned about the environment because I'll be gone, but by heck, I don't want people mucking around with my dividend imputation credits. Mm. I and, think that's a bit of a cynical And thing. the young people were, oh, well, I'm going to be stuck in this world for the next 50 years. I am worried about the environment and I'm not getting dividend imputation <laughs> credits. So uh, yeah. it's... But, yeah. but the other side of it is things like, uh, you know, our, our, our young hero Greta coming out and saying, you know, 
you old bastards are wrecking the world and we're going to inherit this mess and the world's burning and we've got to stop. We've got to stop uh, burning fossil fuels now. Not tomorrow. We've got to stop now. But, of course, in reality, that would cause global economic chaos, absolute chaos, if, if just suddenly we turned off the fossil fuels. Do you know what I mean? So there. When she said now, did she mean tomorrow? Uh, she she did basically. She was. Well, she know said that she did. I, th- I, th- I believe in her mind, she wants it stopped now. But you know, even by twenty twenty five, which was a figure that was bandied about over the past few months, mm. if you know, if we stopped burning or using any kind of fossil fuels by twenty twenty five, the economic downturn would be colossal, and. Not only people like us would suffer, people in the developing world would suffer on a far greater scale. I like Greta because uh, her, her job is to rattle the cage and say, we're angry, we want this, stop mucking around. Yeah. And I think she did that job really well. Uh, look, I'm not a fan, <coughs> I must admit, I'm not a fan. I think she's impertinent. Um, acting as if uh, she has a, a, a greater sort of understanding of the, of, of the world and the situation. I think she's got blinkers on and I think she's impertinent. I think she's saying that the older folk have got blinkers on and they're obstinate. Well, so, she, yeah. she may well think so. Yeah, she might be right. She might be. Yeah. I just don't so, think so. Yeah. So, yeah. all right, I like it. I think she um, – and it's interesting – the people I find who react to her mm. sort of – I think if she was older and saying the same things, they wouldn't be as offended. But the fact that she's a young person telling them, mm. I think they don't like being told by what they perceive to be a teenager as mm. to what to do. And I think it's more the case of who are you young person to be telling me what to do? And I think – People are objecting to that rather than listening to the message. And if she, somebody who was older saying exactly the same message wouldn't have had the vitriol that she received saying. Look, I think they have good reason. Um, not, not to be angry, but to be kind of like, who does she think she is? This teenager thinks yeah. she's... I mean, really, seriously, she's, she's barely out of childhood. Yeah, but what's it matter? It's what she it says. Matters. It matters because she lacks real-life experience and worldly but wisdom. But the people with real-life experience aren't doing anything. Well, so, that's not true. So, so, no, 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 that's really not true, Trevor. They may not be doing as much as you or Greta wants them to do, but it's yes. not that they're not doing anything. Now, let's, let's be uh, honest about this. Yeah. People have been doing things. Toyota has been and, and other companies have been producing hybrid cars for quite a few years now. Uh, more and more electric cars are coming on stream. You know, in, the, in Norway, they expect to be totally electric car by, I forget the year, but it's pretty soon, like 2030 or something like that. The UK is following suit. A bunch of European countries are following suit. They, they're definitely not doing nothing. And to, to claim that they're just sitting on their hands and doing nothing is just not, not true. Just because of the one example of electric cars. No, no, it's not just example. electric cars. I mean, you, you've you've seen <coughs> there are you know wind, alternative energy sources. Mm. Uh, uh, mm. They may not be as uh, plentiful as some people would like, mm. but they're definitely growing. And uh, I know the last time I was in Japan, I was quite surprised at how many wind turbines there were in the countryside. Mm. I thought the science was pretty much in that 
basically we weren't doing enough globally to stop a disaster that the scientists were predicting. Yeah, so look. she's just saying what the scientists are saying. And, and again, you know, this, this figure, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not a, a charge denier, which some people might, you know, mm-hmm. level that charge mm-hmm. by whatever I say. You know, I get the feeling that if you, if you don't just, you know, repeat the, the, the climate alarmist rhetoric, mm-hmm. then you're immediately labelled as anti-science you know, climate change denier and all the rest but of I'm it. But I'm not labelling you that, for example. No, you might not be, and, but... And, uh, but my point is still that the science seems to be that we, according to the scientists... Some falling, of the scientists, uh, well, quite, quite a few of the scientists, but it's, it's definitely but, far from 97%, which is a figure which is but, bandied around a lot. That we're falling behind what pace we need to be at. Yeah, look, I agree we need to definitely but, eliminate coal from the so, mix. So she's saying we're not matching the pace of change that scientists has told us to do. Is essentially her message. Like, true? No, I think she's saying a lot more than that. I but think she's saying she's angry. But the essential nub of what she's saying is we're not doing it as fast as what science tells us we need to. I think she's, uh, her message is that we need to change the way we run our civilization. Right. Well, if that's but isn't that part of the message of 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 science is saying that we do need to change our civilization? No, I don't think science is saying that. I think science is saying we need to adopt um, less polluting uh, means of generating electric power. Right. And we have nuclear power, which is the cleanest, greenest. But isn't that changing civilization when the scientists are telling us we have to change our power sources? Like that's. I I don't think it necessarily changes (coughs) civilization. It changes the way we produce power. The way we run our civilization doesn't have to change. So, what's Greta saying about changing our civilization that isn't related to changing our 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 climate um, um, influence? What what is she saying that's beyond climate influence? That's well, she's changing civilization. I think what she's saying is that regardless of the consequences to our civilization, we have to abandon the way we've been powering our civilization, And she's saying, you know, basically she's saying regardless of consequences, you, you've got to stop and you've got to stop now. Well, I think she's saying we should do what the scientists tell us to do. That, that's from what I've heard is she's simply parroting yeah. the science. Yeah. If you find me something, Toth Man, by right. next week, where Greta Thunberg has gone beyond what the scientists say, okay. let's, let's, there's a challenge for yeah, you. Yeah, look, I, you know, I, mm. I, I can't say for sure, but... Uh, yeah. Zebedee, angry man in the chat room, says electric cars are irrelevant unless the electricity is coming from something other than fossil fuels. Oh, I totally agree. Good point. And, um, um, yeah, so, okay. I think coal is the the big factor we have to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, Burning coal uh, kills people. A lot Mm -hmm. more people than probably are killed by things like traffic accidents and things in some parts of the world. Mm -hmm. New topic. We'll move on. Okay. <laughs> uh, tennis. You're, you're a tennis fan. I'm a big tennis fan. I enjoy the tennis as well. Yeah. And uh, I was watching the Adelaide International. It was uh-huh. one of the lead-up tournaments to yes. the Australian Open. And I had the misfortune of watching the awards ceremony at the end. Oh, I didn't see it. And it was um, full of Indigenous representation. Did they do a smoking ceremony? No, but... <laughs> There was a guy who came out and did chanting and clapping of sticks, oh, which he openly said 
was to remove evil spirits yeah. from the Indigenous trophies that were being handed over. <sighs> and he asked for his ancestors to take away negative oh, energy gosh. that was in them. Now, I put it to you, dear listener, who's probably a sort of an atheist, secular person out there. Probably. But some of you are very sympathetic to the Indigenous cause. Mm. If it was a Catholic priest who was removing yeah. uh, Satan Waving from, a, a, from the trophy, you know, would you have felt the same way? We have to be consistent. We on have these to things. be. It's ridiculous, isn't it, that in an increasingly secular society, or at least we'd like to think it's increasingly mm. secular, that we tolerate this bullshit. It is utter bullshit, you know, mm. this, regardless of which religion or which tradition it comes from. You know, this idea of chasing away evil spirits is just utter bullshit. Mm. Remember, the, um, remember the tests we talked about where Australian students were doing really poorly when it came to... Um, educational standards on mm. maths, especially mm-hmm. yeah. compared to the compared to the uh, Asian global countries, for, yeah, measures. Yeah, it sounded pretty bad. Mm. Yeah. Well, I read this thing which said one explanation is that Western students, in a test that doesn't count, don't try. They don't try in these tests. Whereas, a bit like Nick Curious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> If it's not the Davis Cup of the Australian Open, he doesn't care. He if, doesn't he's, if, he's in, if he's in Nowheresville, America, yeah. in Cincinnati, yeah. and on an outside court, yeah. he doesn't care. Well, I just know from my own kids' experience um, that that uh, if they were sort of practice exams or whatever, yeah. who cares? And, and I had a daughter who was a dancer who really just didn't care about things because she academic just wasn't things. heading for an academic career. And, yeah. and I could imagine that faced with a test like this, that Western students could culturally be of a type that were like, what, does this count to my uh, OP score? What, it doesn't count? Oh, okay. Yeah. Compared to diligent Asian students who have been regimented to always behave always and perform who would potentially try a lot harder. Mm. So mm. Um, got a link to an article, dear listener, where it basically suggested... Now, some of this was self-reported where they, where they queried the students afterwards, did you try? Mm. And there were other things where they were looking at the time taken on exams. And, um, but that's hard to gauge because people could just be not trying and just staring at a screen and not even really caring. So mm. um, anyway, I thought that was an interesting sort of... Um, yeah. So uh, it's sort of cultural, isn't it? Could be that our students on a test that doesn't count, don't try, more so than others. It seems a plausible argument. It does me. seem plausible. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we talked about, with boomers often, about grandfathering. Remember in the last election we talked about um, the uh, negative gearing mm-hmm. and they are basically going to say, the Labor Party was going to say, well, if you've already got some negatively geared properties will let you continue to negatively gear. It's just going to be new owners who won't be able to. Yep. And um, this happens a lot with different legislation, particularly in recent times, I think. And we talk about it as grandfathering. Mm-hmm. That's you, what they call it. Yes. Do you know why they call it grandfathering? Why they chose that term? Yes. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think I do. Why? It originated in the late 19th century legislation in America oh. where basically they were trying to make it harder 
for black people to vote. So they introduced um, literacy tests to say you must have a certain level of literacy in order to vote. Mm. And the problem was that they didn't want the um, uh, illiterate white people to not be able to vote. Uh So they had a grandfather clause which said, we're introducing this new rule where you won't be able to vote if you can't read and write. But if your grandfather... Could read and write. Could read and write. (laughs) You can vote. And that's how it came about with grandfathering Mm. as the expression of of, uh, this sort of law. I'd I'd like to see that that principle applied to candidates for the US presidency, wouldn't you? In what way? How's that work? Oh, because Donald Trump, right. uh, according uh, to people who know, mm. know him well, hardly reads uh, mm. and, and may well be only semi-literate. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so that was an interesting one, I thought. Yeah. Great <laughs> okay. father. It is interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to know the origins of this. Indeed. Mm. Right. I've got uh, – oh, by the way, dear listener, next week um, – I'm a little bit underprepared this week and one of the reasons is next week – we're going to go back to a little bit of – the Bible study was so popular. We're going to do something similar. But um, what I thought we'd do next week is we're going to take listeners through the opening chapters of Ken and Malik's book, The okay, Moral Compass, yes. and basically look at how ideas of morality emerged mm. and started with the uh, – starting with the Greek legends in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Indeed. And then the Greek philosophers, uh, Socrates, Plato and Aristotle. Yes. And the rise of Judaism and then finishing off with early Christianity and hopefully in that process uh, denouncing the idea that modern morality emerged out of Christianity. So yes, indeed. It's going to be an examination of that and Hugh's going to come along and yeah. we're going to talk about that. So I've started having a look at that book. Yeah. Oh, you've got it? I've had it for a long time but okay. I just haven't got around to reading it. But okay. I've started in the early chapters yeah. just that I'm... A yep. little bit around what we're going to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that's the plan for next week. And he writes very well too, doesn't he, mm. Kenan Malik? Yeah, he does. Yes. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about morality, its emergence in ancient times, mm. and uh, look it's at that. A great topic. Mm. And we'll also do a few ethical dilemmas of some sort. I think Twelfth Man, mm. and I'm going to use a few of them up here because I know probably just dealing with Kenan Malik where. Uh, we're going to not get to all these ethical dilemmas that I sent mm-hmm. you and Hugh, but um, let's do an easy one. The Nazi flag, first of all. Oh, that's an easy one. Yeah. yeah. So Daniel Andrews, who we normally agree with on yes. those things. We, we, we commend him for a lot of the work he does as mm. Premier of Victoria. Mm. So there was a couple in Victoria who were flying a Nazi flag over their property in regional Victoria, and he asked them, he said they should take it down, describing it as absolutely disgusting behaviour. Yeah, it's pretty strong language. Um, the people who are displaying that despicable flag, it's just disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting behaviour. If there's any decency in the household, they would take that flag down immediately. And um, the age revealed that the couple had been flying the flag featuring a swastika over their home for at least several weeks, mm-hmm. reigniting calls to ban people publicly displaying the symbol. Actually, yeah. I probably have to say I agree with Daniel Andrews. He could say to him, I want you to take it down. I think you should, but without actually passing a law telling them they have to. So I think that's good to say. That's a pretty awful piece of imagery you've got there. You should well, take that down. Do you know... That and they can choose to ignore him or not. 
But he's entitled to tell them. I think that's pretty... He's entitled to his own opinion. <coughs> I don't think he's entitled to impose his opinion on anybody. But he's not going to impose it. He's just saying, in my opinion, you should take that flag down yes, because but w- it seems like you are supporting uh, uh, the idea of the Nazi... There was some discussion of amending certain you know, laws to... To make it illegal, certainly coming from the is it the Anti Defamation League? Is that the one in or the there was some Jewish group in Victoria, right? Were were calling for it to be to be actually outlawed. Yeah. Now I, as you can probably guess, I'm I'm against that because mm. I think everybody should be entitled to fly whatever freaking flag they like. Yes, it's a free country, and the Premier of the state is entitled to say, I think that's a shitty idea, and I wish you wouldn't do it. But if you're going to do it, I can't stop you. Isn't that fair enough as well? It's Yeah, he's entitled to express his opinion. So I think I agree with Daniel Andrews on this one. I don't. Um, well, but he's entitled to say it. He's entitled to say <laughs> and it. And he's not passing a law to stop him. No, but so calling what, them what disgusting, I, I think, is going a, a little bit too far. Uh, I, I would probably say uh, it's a little bit distasteful. You know, some people might find it offensive. But to say it's disgusting, I'm not sure that that's really appropriate for a Premier. To be what, what is disgusting if not the Nazi flag? Like, Killing people. Right. Um, you know, S- supporting a regime. Violence that... against people. Flying a flag. I mean, it's not f- actually hurting anyone. No, but, and it's not saying it's hurting somebody, but it can still be disgusting without hurting mm. somebody. I'm not sure. I'm offended by violence. I'm offended by cruelty. I'm not offended mm. by flags. Right. And I know you love the idea of free speech. Absolutely. But then free speech also means the speech, the free speech of others to criticise. Uh, yeah, and, and everyone's free to criticise it, no problem at all. And to make an assessment and to say, you know what, I reckon yeah. that's disgusting. Yeah, okay. He's, Andrews is entitled to say it. I just, okay. uh, you know, I think, he's, mm. I think he's overreacting. I think the more, the more oxygen you give that flag... You know, the, the the more of a problem it becomes, you know. I mean, mm. ignore it, for goodness sake. Just say, yeah. well, you know, why on earth would anyone want to fly a Nazi flag, you know? Mm. They must be idiots or they must be crazy. But disgusting, I'm not sure, is, is what I would say. I would mm. say, uh, you know, that maybe they're historical illiterates, you know, mm. or maybe they actually like what the Germans did. Who knows? But uh, mm. on their property, if they want to fly a stupid old flag that represents, um, you know, the death of not only the Jews, but, you know, tens of millions of ordinary people all over the world, in, you know, mainly in Europe, of course, then, uh, you know, they, if they want to be that stupid, they're, you know, they're free to do so. It's a free country. I don't think we should yeah. be... But um, you, you seem reluctant to criticise... I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to take away people's right. But, but not taking away a right, but we're no, just saying... Well, because you're always saying, look, I want to know about people's bad ideas mm-hmm. because I want to be able to discuss and uh, criticise. Yeah. So you, but you seem reluctant for the Premier to criticise. No, no. Well, I, I think he went a bit over the top in saying they were disgusting. I mean, he was basically saying they're, you know, they're bad human beings. In a sense, you know, their behaviour was deplorable. I mean, they're just flying a flag. They're not... He said it's absolutely, dis- quote, absolutely disgusting behaviour. Yes, exactly. The people who are displaying that despicable flag, it's just disgusting. It's absolutely Look, disgusting. Look, a flag is just a flag. It's, a flag can't be despicable. A flag is just a piece of material. 
yeah, the behaviour of the people in a, Nazi Germany was despicable. But it's a statement that seems to support that despicable regime. It may be, but I'm not a mind reader. I have no idea why those it, people flew right, the flag. But normally a flying of a flag would indicate support for the ideals of the flag. It may. In it fact, may well do so. that's the whole... Let's say our culture says that if you if you run a flag up a flagpole, it's because you support that mm. the 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 ideas encompassed in that flag. Like I f- I if I had flags. a flagpole out the front yeah. and ran up the American flag, the stars and stripes, people, people would probably would, laugh at you. People would quite reasonably say, "There's a man who supports America." Okay, would, would they also say there's a man? There's, there's, a, there's an American patriot in that, in that house. Would they also sort. say there's a man who obviously supports all the bad things America's ever done in, in the world? Would they say that? Um, Some people might. You know, people who have a, a, fix, a fixated, you know, grudge against America might say something like that. Let me give another example. If I ran an ISIS flag up a flagpole... Mm-hmm. People would probably say, there's a man who supports ISIS and all of the bad things that ISIS did. Yeah, probably. And not the good stuff of ISIS, whatever that may be. Yeah, where is the good stuff? I'm not sure. Well, that's the point of the Nazi flag. Like, that's the point of the swastika, is there's nothing nice or good about it. It's all bad. It united the German people. (laughs) I just I, I find it amazing that you're so pro-free speech. Absolutely. Yet when the Premier wants well, to exercise that free speech and criticise, which is the thing that you say that you no, love... I, I have not I, I denied can, Daniel Andrews the right no, to criticise No, but you're, you're disapproving that him. he's doing it. You're just saying he shouldn't. You're saying he's giving uh, air to it. You're mm. saying he's inflaming a situation. I think but, he is. But that just... What we can't say anything about no, bad stuff. No, I'm not stuff, saying then. can't, Trevor. Don't well, we misinterpret what you're I'm saying, saying. We shouldn't criticise because we're drawing attention. I to I think bad Andrews things. is unwise to right. make such a big deal of it. Right. Because. Because it just gives oxygen to these people, and maybe they get a bit of a kick out of flying the flag for that reason. Just okay. For a man who enjoys free speech, I'm surprised that you advocate uh, the toning down of free speech for fear of of uh, repercussions. I don't know that you, you, I'm you're, advocating you're, toning it down. I, I mean, some pe- people are entitled to express their, you know, their dislike of the flag. Others are entitled to say, why shouldn't they fly a flag? Mm-hmm. Now, you, you, you may remember Christopher Hitchens very famously made a speech where he said it's not only you know, the right of people to express an idea, but it's the right of other people to hear alternative ideas and... And to then criticise if they wish to. Yes, absolutely. But not to be cowed into silence because of the fear of of inflaming a situation and giving okay. airtime. Okay, fair enough. Mm. But uh, nor should those people be cowed into taking down the flag if that's you know gives them a thrill to fly mm. stupid. In the flag. chat room, Ross says it's what symbolises. It's what it symbolises. That is the problem. Do the people flying the flag understand its history and symbolism? Uh, and Which Ross Jones also says, might have the federal police on your doorstep too. But um, On my doorstep? Yeah, no, I think maybe mine if I was to fly a flag with the <laughs> ISIS on there. Or, or with, no, yeah. the US flag wouldn't get you into trouble. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I thought we were going to come to more agreement on the Nazi flag one. Yeah. Uh, also, just in the chat room, just before just I move on to the next topic, we were speaking about um, morality and Zebedee Angry Man says, the origins of morality can be demonstrated in higher primate groups. 
And I agree with you, Zebedee. And have a look at our episode, which has a title something like uh, Whispering Beta Males or something like that. If you, if you search that on our website, we mm. did something along those lines. Okay, here's another... Um, another one. Another uh, ethical dilemma. Yeah. Um, a couple were left stranded and out of pocket after a rideshare driver refused to pick them up because they had a Christmas ham. Yeah. The couple had been for dinner at their local RSL in Melbourne yeah. South East. They picked up a ham that they'd won a few weeks ago. They ordered an Uber, approached the car, and the driver said it was cancelled. And clearly he was a Muslim and, um, yes, he said he wouldn't take them home because he was Muslim. And Jews so what don't, do you think of Jews don't, I mean, practising, you know, mm. observing Jews don't eat pig either. Right. So I wonder if, if the... Uh, Excuse me. Mm. Edit that out. <laughs> um, if the driver had been Jewish and showed up and said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm Jewish, uh, that's against my religion, I'm not taking you, would people be as outraged? Probably. Yeah, probably. So I mean, I would, be, I would be pissed off if I had ordered an Uber yes. and they showed up mm. and I was just about to get in the car and said, oh, could you pop your boot, please? I've got this big yep. hulking ham that I'm taking to my family Christmas get-together. Yep. I would be pissed off too, wouldn't mm. you? Yes. Yes. I mean, the guy is working in a, in a, in a public service sector mm-hmm. where he doesn't, you know, get to dictate what he's, you're, you're, you're thinking back to the, the, the Aboriginals in the shop, aren't you? Oh, I've got all sorts of thoughts yeah. going through my mind. I'm just waiting for you to... Waiting to, for you to fall into my trap. No, I'm no. I'm just actually interested in where you where you go with this one because I I'm, I thought I could predict you at times, Paul, and, and I, I realise I can't. So you're accusing me of being I, I, inconsistent. I, I, no, I just I don't know where you're going to go. So please, should, should you know? Is it open to Uber drivers to say no? I'm not taking you because of that ham. I wouldn't have thought it'd be open to them, would you? Right. Well, if someone look, if I was an Uber look, driver. And I showed up mm-hmm. and the people were going to put a small horse in the back of the car. Mm. I would say, sorry, I'm not taking your horse. Yes, Because it might, sh- might shit on, on yes. the seat or yes. you know, mess up my car. Yes, or you're drunk. Or I'm you're drunk. Taking... You might vomit in my car. That yes. is the bane of taxi drivers and, yes. and I dare say Uber drivers. Yes. Is drunk people throwing up in their car because yes. it makes your car stink yep. and you've got to clean it and basically your day is ruined. Yeah. Um, I think they're quite entitled to refuse people in, that, in those circumstances. But a ham? Come on, you know. It's not as if the ham is going to contaminate his car. Mm. I know a ham sometimes has a bit of a smell, but mm. no, I'm sorry. I, I wouldn't accept that at all, would you? Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure where I fall on this one, strangely. Really? I don't, I, yeah. Um, I... I I don't know where I fall on this one. I think it's kind of almost has to be in the employment contract to say you're going to take people's groceries mm. and you're going to take people's if if they've if they're going to stop at a at a uh, an alcohol. Exactly. I was <coughs> yeah. just going to say that. What Bottle if they they Bottle had a, a box of uh, alcohol yep. and he said, "Well, I'm a Muslim yep. and I, I I don't agree with the consumption of alcohol, so I'm not taking it." Yep. It's yep. not that different, is it? Yep. So I think, I think the company is entitled to say, we can't in our app 
ask people all of the things that they're going to be doing on this trip. Will you be stopping at a bottle o? Will you be carrying a ham? Will you be an unmarried couple exactly. heading back to a hotel yeah. for an illicit liaison? Yeah. What if um, the driver is a, a strict Christian yeah. and doesn't agree with um, unmarried people cohabiting or mm. even dating mm. perhaps, you know, mm. uns- unchaperoned? Yeah. <laughs> he might show up and say, so, are you married? So I kind of think Where, it's, where's your chaperone? I kind of think it's up to the uh, company to say in their agreement, well, here's the rules under which you have to take people if you mm. want to be part of our system. Yep. And if you don't like that, don't be part of the system. I agree. Um, but if they haven't said that in the rules, then they've left it open for the people to pick and choose. Mm. Mm. Tricky one. If you're watching on Facebook like Alison, there may be problems on Facebook, Alison. Try um, YouTube or Twitch, if your teenagers will let you on their Twitch channel. Right. <coughs> Head to the website and there's links there as to our various different places that we're streaming. Mm. Okay, that was Uber drivers, Nazi flag. You got any more? Um, uh, here's one for you. Um, wombat stoning. Oh. So there's a video which showed an off-duty police officer yeah. stoning a wombat to death. Yeah. And he chased the wombat while throwing rocks at it. He was Indigenous and he claims that he then uh, shared the dead wombat with his family and... He also claimed he was acting in his religious capacity. Yes. Um, And he had a perfect right to kill that wombat because it was traditional food. He said he was introduced to hunting native tucker at a very young age and... As you're all, quote, as you are all aware, I was in my religious capacity and was within my cultural right yes. to take the life of the wombat and that it was cleaned, passed on to family and then cut up and shared out amongst mm. multiple other families. So the point is it was a pretty cruel way to treat a wombat and that we wouldn't allow that to Look. cattle or sheep. <coughs> is it excusable because it's a wombat and it's a religious or cultural Look, ceremony? What he... What he de- what he neglected to say was that um, in his religious um, part of his religion is to have somebody in a you know four by four ute with the, with the headlights on <laughs> to make it easier for him to see the wombat because it was happening at night. Yes, I mean how ridiculous to claim that he's doing he's behaving in a traditional manner. Yes, with somebody driving along the road with this poor terrified wombat running away from the the lights of the car and him throwing rocks at it. Mm. I mean what a what a ridiculous excuse he offered. Yeah. Similar things happen with turtles uh, yeah. uh, in the and Cape York where basically indigenous brothers and sisters yes. hop on aluminium boats with, uh, with, outboard, with motors. outboard motors. And, and dugongs. They hunt dugongs yes. the same way. Um, and they'll, you know, capture a turtle yeah. and, and uh, it'll be on its back for a few hours while they're deciding what to do with it. And pretty... if. If you're going to be doing indigenous hunting, surely I'd be much happy. Say we're saying to people, (coughs) a white fella cannot hunt for a turtle in Cape York. That's right. But an indigenous person can. Or anywhere. Because it's part of their indigenous culture. But then they hop into a Western vehicle and conduct it. A modern, you know, invention of, you know, technological civilization. Yes. Which is... Not part of their traditional way of hunting. <laughs> so if they're going to hunt the turtle, surely they should be obliged to hunt it using traditional means. Yes. But even then, even if you did use traditional means, but you're actually cruel to the animal. Like, Let's just say he was running around in the dark with a fire stick and a stone and, and clubbed the thing. 
in the same way. Yeah. We still wouldn't be happy, would we? No. So, look, I, you know, I, I personally think, you know, this is 2020. This is uh, <coughs> Indigenous people no longer need to go hunting wombats or anything or turtles or anything else to yeah. survive. Yeah. You know, I mean, hunting gathering was for survival, was for subsistence. Mm. They no longer need that. So it's a bit of a cop-out to say, well, we're going to go to the, the local store and buy our tucker, um, you know, most of the time. Mm. But just on a whim, when we feel like it, we're going to jump in the outboard and go out and, you know, probably with a gun yep. and shoot the dugong or the turtle or whatever because, yeah. you know. You don't hear this issue discussed amongst animal activists at all? Um, Not too much. They're a little bit, maybe a little bit wary. It's just a difficult topic, isn't it? offending Indigenous people. Whereas in New Zealand, I think the law is different, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, you know, in reference to this article about this Indigenous chap, Mm. I saw, and I I don't know, I haven't checked it out, but somebody was saying uh, people in New Zealand were a bit surprised that Australian Indigenous people could use that oh, really? as, as a justification, yeah, because uh-huh. in New Zealand apparently it's not exactly uh-huh. open slather for Indigenous New Zealanders to go hunting. Uh, okay. Um, both the RSPCA and Wombats South Australia have called for the laws around Indigenous hunting to be reviewed. Yeah, I think they should be <coughs> too. Excuse me. So, okay, that was uh, that one. Um uh, let me just see. Uh, indigenous community. Oh, here's one. Aboriginal elders in a remote Western Australian community want to ban Christians from visiting their region. <laughs> the Indigenous community said that the religious organisation was attempting to convert them to Christianity and away from their traditional culture. A group of elders asked WA's discrimination watchdog if they were allowed to forbid the Christian group from their community. And Equal Opportunity Commissioner of WA, John Burns, said the religious group most likely wouldn't be able to lodge a complaint if they were to be banished. Libertarian 12th man who is in favour of freedom of speech, should the evangelical group flying into remote communities be banned or should they be able to exercise their freedom of speech and to proselytise uh, throughout this fair land? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't ban them necessarily, but I would uh, probably encourage the indigenous people to ignore them. Okay, so you wouldn't ban them? Not necessarily. I, d- I don't think it's banning is necessarily. No, I'm good. Yep. I don't think banning people is really the solution to uh, issues of ideology or you know ideas generally. I think it's better to have somebody else show up and argue against them. Right. You know, perhaps there should be. You know, atheist groups or secular secularists sending people in to counter argue with these religious people, these mm. Christians. Mm. You know. Okay. Um, what do you think? Uh, I agree in that it's a free country. They should be able to travel yeah. and go wherever yeah. they want. No, I don't like the idea of banning yeah. people just for spreading ideas. I yes. think that's dangerous. Yes. I like the honesty of the Aboriginal elders in this community for at least saying that's not part of our culture because I struggle with with Christian Indigenous cultures. Um, it seemed a mixed thing that just... I, it it always seems, in, it's an oxymoron, isn't it? surprises me how Indigenous people embrace Christianity, you know. Mm. Um, if they're so attached to their 
traditional indigenous culture and they embrace this, you know, this bogus religion from the Middle East and from Europe. Uh, it's, you know, mm. strikes me as odd. So there are Christian organisations who are known to visit remote communities across the state, including a group called Kingdom Aviation Ministries and also <laughs> Chariots of Fire Ministries. Mm. This is what we're up against. Yeah. Look, when I was in university, uh, I was I was reading a lot about religion and missionaries, and there, you know, there are American groups in particular which specialise in going out to various remote parts of the globe and um, you know trying to convert indigenous various kinds of indigenous people. There was one group that I actually contacted, which had a an office in Sydney, in the suburbs of Sydney, called New Tribes Mission. And they, they specialised in you know, so, spreading the so-called word of God to the, the unreached, you know, right. who were basically indigenous mm. people, mm. who were pretty vulnerable to that sort of um, outreach because they were usually you know, impoverished, you know, lacked basic services and amenities, and so these New Tribes missions and other similar outfits would go out and, you know, try and, you know, convert them to Christianity. They weren't mm. interested in much else, to be honest, from mm. what I could tell. But from my reading of it, the indigenous people that did convert were basically converting because they saw these missionaries arriving with stronger magic than what they had. You know, I mean, if people arrive in, in aeroplanes or, or, you know, trucks with lots of good stuff, mm. um, it's, it's clear evidence that their magic is better. And, you know, when you live in a society where, you know, the natural world and everything is basically inhabited by spirits and, and magic, it's pretty clear evidence that these uh, interlopers have got stronger magic. So why wouldn't you convert? Mm. to get access. It's mm. like the cargo cults, as we know, in, yep. in the uh, southwest Pacific at the, uh, the end of the Second World War. It's the same principle. Yeah. These people are not exactly embracing Jesus. Mm. They're embracing what they perceive to be a better magic, a more effective mm. magic. Mm. Yep. Final <laughs> one. Um, now, you're, you're a keen bike rider. Uh, well... I'm a bike rider. Okay. I'm not as keen as some, but <clears throat> I love bikes, yeah. How do you feel about the compulsory law about wearing helmets? I'm not really fond of it, to be honest. Okay. And, I, you know, I, I um, in the last uh, 10 years, I've, I've spent a bit of time in Japan. Mm. Uh, took my bike over um, a couple of times and uh, basically never wore my helmet in Japan. I'd wear a hat to keep mm. the sun off my face. Mm. Which I found much more comfortable and much more useful than than the helmet. Yep. Um, I, I can understand the argument of you know preventing head injury. Mm. You know, it's a rational argument. I just don't like the idea of enforcing it. Mm. And um, so and, anyway, in Canberra, yeah. they've got the usual law. Oh, that's that right. You'll be fined. They've got if some you ride a bike with, yeah. uh, without wearing a helmet if you're a Sikh. But now the Sikhs have. Uh, received a special exemption yeah. because of the turban that they wear makes it impossible to wear a Indeed. standard bike helmet. So they now don't have to comply with the law. I know. Religious exemption. That? Religious privilege. It's re- <coughs> well, I don't think anyone should be required to wear them, but I don't think it's fair. But if fair. there is a law? Yeah, if there is a law, it should be applied uniformly, of course. Yeah. 
I think so as well. I mean, why is the law there? It's because people fall off bikes, get head injuries, and we as a community end up having to run hospitals with brain injury centres and mm-hmm. fix them up, and we'd rather not if yep. we can. And a, a, a turban isn't going to do anything of any real significance. It so, might. I don't know. How mm. thick are they? bit like a bit of a rolled-up towel. Yes, they? but there's a lot of hair under it, and that's mm. why they wear one, isn't it? Because the, the Sikh men don't mm. cut their hair. Yeah. Anyway, for the sorts of injuries that helmets are designed to uh, avoid or help avoid, uh, honestly, it's one where if you don't think it's important that people wear a helmet, then get rid of the law. But there was also the case some years ago in the UK where, um, I think it was in the UK, where some Sikh cricket fans were permitted to carry their little their little dagger on their belt into yes. the cricket ground, whereas any other person, if they were caught carrying a knife of any sort, would have it confiscated. Yes. Yeah, the ceremonial dagger. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Right. Double standard, isn't mm, it? It is. Mm. Well, that's a hodgepodge of different news bits <laughs> and articles, dear listener, yeah. that's going on at the moment. Uh, as I said, next week we're going to do our morality thing with Hugh Harris, hopefully. Great. And um, I think 12th Man... Probably call it a day. We're going to okay, yeah, a bit over an hour, I think. Sure. We'll probably try and get Scott on maybe the following week Hope if he's so. got a a reliable internet connection Let's at hope. that point. Oh, I want to thank the patrons actually uh, because we've had a few new ones. So, uh, dear listener, um, we subscribe to lots of uh, right wing, left wing, and middle wing news <laughs> publications. Wing. Yeah, and also buy lots of books, and so. Oh, uh, you're getting the subscribers to pay for your books yeah, now? Yeah, I am. Oh, yeah. Gee. Yep, I am indeed. So, wow. um, so if you want to help out, you can become a patron. A dollar a show is all we ask. Hop onto our website, ironfistvelvetclub.com.au. You can join people like Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayne, Oyama, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robbie, Rod, Palais, Matic Man, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Daniel, Harry, Peter, Captain Doomsday... Wheat Watcher, Andy, Murray, Melinda, Adam, Professor, Dr. Dentist. Will, Did you say Andy Murray? Uh, Andy and Murray. Uh, uh, Glenn, Craig, Matthew, Alexander, Paul, Tom, Taro, Camille, Kim, Donnie Darko, Clinton, Gavin, John, Tony, uh, yet another Pinker fan. Good. And, um, should be more Actually, often. yet another Pinker fan. Uh, we're going to do a book review. So he is going to... Read a book. I uh, can't remember the name of the one I recommended, and I've decided I'm going to read Pinker. I've got it here. And Which one do you have? Enlightenment Now is the one oh, yeah. we're doing. Yeah. Okay. And we're going I've to do, got that, so we can yeah, we can, we can do, do a, a book comparison. review of Pinker. Good. And um, Graham. Oh, new recent uh, sort of uh, patrons include Graham, Mark, Citizen Six, and David. He just joined today. Thank you to all those. David's actually an old school mate. Oh, so really? from high school. Yeah. Uh, thanks to the non-patrons who do it direct through PayPal. Dean, Ken, Was, the beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Corinne, Matman, David, Bev, and uh, Damien from Redline Digital for all of your WordPress needs. <laughs> Wayne and Jared, because Damien helped me out when I just couldn't fix something on this mm. site. So good on good. you, Damien. Yep. And beer sponsors over time have been Was Wayne, Landon, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Landon, Caitlin, Zach, Captain Doomsday, Glenn, Steve. Somebody who gave us a homemade beer now because um, – could you get in contact again, the person who sent the mm. homemade beer? Because I can't find the email or the message. Oh. 
and I want to correspond with you and thank you properly. Yes. And um, because Scott's away, I'm going to lose track of the sort of beer sponsorship stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you to the people who support us. It's much appreciated. Yes. And, um, and yeah, we'll be back next week with yeah. that meaty topic. And if you've got topics that you'd like us to discuss. Yeah. Um, and, and perhaps encourage the mm. listeners to have a look at that book because it's yeah. quite a, an interesting book. The Stephen it? Pinker one. No, the... Um, the, uh, the uh, Ken and that we Ken and Malik, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's it called again? Uh, search for a Moral Compass That's or something it. like that. Yes, yeah. the Search for a Moral Compass. Yeah. Yes. Actually, I think we might do a few book reviews this mm. year. So yeah, there's a number idea. that I've been going through mm. and I think we might do a few Good. book reviews when the sort of current affairs of the time is just sort of more of the same. So mm-hmm. look out for that. Righto. So thank you for the people in the chat room. Sorry if Facebook sort of went... In and out a bit, but uh, anyway, if you've been listening through the podcast, you missed all that. So anyway, good Mm. on you. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Fist, glove, twelfth man, hard bottom here. Your last episode was only one hour long, and not the one hour and 30 minutes I've become accustomed to. You owe me 33 cents, and if I don't get it, I'll be sending some rather large chaps around there to perform their own kind of knee surgery on you. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth... More than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.